0: was okay advice, because when he saw that he lost the red-headed girl, he realized how much he was losing, and who he was losing, and what he was losing, and it made him want her all that much more. And today they're married, and they've had multiple kids together, and they're doing just great. So was it bad advice, or did it help him? Who can say, right? Yeah, a little bit of bad, a little bit of good. But you tell you what, I have become so much more careful about giving advice because I realize I'm not God. And I don't know, it may seem really good to me, but I might be telling the person the exact wrong thing to do. Well, today we're looking at the story of a king, King Rehoboam. We're starting a new sermon series. You remember we did the early monarchy a, a little over a year ago. We're moving into the middle monarchy. We're now past Solomon, and we're moving into Solomon's son. Um, You know, he had a thousand women in his life, Solomon, but for all those women, we only know the name of one child, and that's Rehoboam. So open up your Bibles or your smartphones to 2 Chronicles chapter 10. 2 Chronicles chapter 10, we're digging in to the first king in our sermon series right after Solomon. Solomon's son, Rehoboam. It's an irony that for as wise as Solomon was, at least in parts of his life, his son who followed him would be so foolish. And we'll see that as we get into the story today. His name, Rehoboam, either means who sets the people at liberty or the people have become extensive. 2 Chronicles chapter 10 And we're starting in verse 1. Are you there? Say, I'm there. All right. Good enough. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. Now, first of all, this is interesting because I thought that the kings were living more near Jerusalem at this time, right? That's where the palace was and the temple and so forth. So why did Rehoboam go to Shechem? And and furthermore, where is Shechem? Well, this is a broad map, and don't worry, I'm going to enlarge it before we get to where Shechem's at. Um, This is the kingdom of David and Solomon, and the the bluish part here is territory that was probably under Solomon's economic influence. So so here is like modern-day Israel, and then we get to Lebanon here, and then this is all the way up into, um, what is that country? Uh, I knew it earlier. Syria. Sounds good enough to me, right? <laughs> okay. I'm really good when I can read it off of a map, right? <laughs> so so the, the United Empire was very large, as you can see. The divided monarchy shrunk considerably. Uh, And what we're going to find is that Rehoboam is responsible for the split. It happens because of him and because he accepts bad advice. The southern kingdom of Judah, uh, down here in the aqua color, the teal. I have shorts that same color, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I was trying to put on two colors that didn't go well together. One of them was this. Actually, it was about those... Well, anyways, that doesn't matter. I'm glad I have a wonderful wife that helps, helps me not walk out the door looking foolish. Let's zoom in a little bit. So, here's the Dead Sea. Here's Jerusalem. Shechem is all the way up here. So, why would Rehoboam go up into Shechem? Shechem probably because he realized he didn't have as much influence over the northern part of his kingdom as he needed and wanted. So he goes up to Shechem, which had a lot of interesting history uh, and was also a a kind of a strategic spot geographically. That's where Israel went, and that's where he went. He realized he didn't have as much leverage as he needed, but he was going to go up to the northern tribes and try and become king there. So that's where he goes. Verse 2. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was in Egypt, he, where he had fled from King Solomon, he had been told by the prophet that he was going to become king of ten tribes. Uh, Solomon didn't like this. Jeroboam flees. We'll talk about Jeroboam next week. But Jeroboam hears the news and he returns. Uh, he comes back from Egypt. Verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam He and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. What's that word there that starts with a Y? A yoke. What did Jesus say his yoke was like? Easy and light. Solomon, even as wise as he was, he became foolish through all of the heavy yokes that he put on his people. He did this through a couple of things, through heavy taxes and also through forced laborers. It tells us in, in the book of Kings, or tells us earlier, yeah, in 1 Kings 5, that he conscripted at least 30,000 of his own country people to be laborers for him. And You can learn about the different mines that Solomon had to get more and more precious metals and all the maybe building projects that he did. Well, he needed laborers, and he forced his own country people to work for him, almost like slaves. And the people said, hey, we don't want all these taxes. We don't want all of these uh, forced laborers. What are you going to do? Rehoboam answered in verse 5, come back to me in three days. So the people went away. Let me think about it. Think about it for three days. And during those three days, Rehoboam had different people come to him to want to give advice. And this is especially important for kings and powerful leaders to have people who are smart, who can give good counsel. Look at who he consults with first, verse 6. So King Rehoboam consulted with the elders. Who? The elders, the older people, the people who had been around and seen a lot people who had served with his father Solomon, people who had experience working with kings and working in leadership and governing. How would you advise me to answer this people, he asked. They replied, if you will be kind to these people. You know, a little kindness goes a long ways, doesn't it? If you'll be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Doesn't that sound like a good outcome? Be kind, favorable, they'll serve you. But what did Rehoboam do in verse 8? Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him, and he consulted with the young men he'd grown up with, his high school classmates, his buddies. Now, he was 41 at this time, so he, he wasn't a teenager taking the throne. He was, you know, midlife, But the guys he'd grown up with, joking with in school, as it were, he said, hey, what do you think I should do? People that had grown up with him, what's their response? Verse 9, he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell the people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make the yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, but I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with what? Scorpions. Scorpions. So they were saying, if you give these people an inch, they're going to want a mile Rehoboam, you've got to nip it in the bud right now and you have to have a hard line from the very beginning. You just tell him, you think it was tough underneath my father Solomon, just wait until you meet me because it's going to be ten times tougher. Ancient Jewish writings translate this verse. They say, my weakness shall be stronger than the might of my father. The word there uh, is actually loins that's used, but probably there's, he's saying My father's waist is like this, is smaller than my pinky. Uh, I'm going to be much tougher, much badder, much more powerful than my dad. Well, which advice do you think was the good one, the better one? Yeah, it seems pretty clear to us, but apparently, he thought it was good enough. Later. In, in another passage, it actually, his son will say, you know, my dad was young and, and influenced by the people. He was kind of a pushover at that stage of his life. But at 41, you think you should be able to make your own choices as king. So he says, I like the advice that, that these young people, my young friends have given me. In fact, if you look at the cover of the bulletin or the picture, Yeah, right here. This is a a painting from the 1500s. This was a mural. uh, And it's depicting this exact moment ancient wall painting, talking about this very moment. This is how my father's waist was smaller than my little pinky. So, verse 12 Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, Come back to me in three days. And the king answered them harshly, not kindly, not diplomatically, but harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men, and he told them exactly what he had been uh, advised to tell them. How the people like it. <laughs> Verse 15: So the king did not listen. To the people, for this turn of events was from God to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken to Jeroboam the son of Nebat through Ahijah the Shilonite. Not that God caused these events, but God knew how foolish this guy was going to be, and He allowed his foolishness to lead to a rebuke, uh, to lead to these turn of events. So, what did Israel do? What was their response? We see it in verse 16. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, O Israel, look after your own house, O David. So all the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So what we find here is the two southern tribes, basically. Judah and Benjamin were all that Rehoboam ruled over. The other ten tribes said, Forget this guy, we're going to do our own thing. We'll talk more about that starting next week. But as you can imagine, Rehoboam was not happy with this outcome. Here he was trying to be Mr. Tough Guy, (laughs) all cute with his little pinky illustration. Totally backfired. Totally backfired on him. So what does he do now? He sends out somebody who's going to be the enforcer. Look at what it says there in verse 18. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced laborer. So he sends out the big, tough, strong guy who was in charge of all the forced laborers, a.k.a. slaves. So Adoniram goes out to the people and is like, hey guys, you heard what the king said? You need to listen to the king. And the people said... Nope. And they picked up stones, and the Bible says, and they killed him. When the king hears this, he realizes, oh, I really made a big mistake. If he didn't know it before, now he knows he made a really big mistake. So what does he do now? He's trying to get even tougher. All right, you didn't listen to the big, strong, tough guy? I'm going to get my army. And he calls together 180,000 people from the southern two tribes, and he says, we're going to go to war. But fortunately, God sends a prophet. Chapter 11, verse 2. The word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the Israelites in Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers. Go home every one of you, for this is my doing. And praise the Lord, in this case, it says that they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from marching on Jeroboam. So he made some bad choices, but fortunately he avoided a catastrophic civil war and decided, you know what, I'm just going to be happy with the two tribes and my own kingdom here. So the Bible says in verse 5 that he starts on a building campaign. He realizes he now has a new enemy to the north, his brothers, his cousins, but he also has Egypt to the south. And so he starts fortifying the cities, putting shields and spears and trying to make them as strong as possible. And then he gets a blessing in verse 13 because in the northern tribes, there were the Levites and various people who wanted to serve God and follow God But as we'll see next week, all manner of horrible idol worship is going on in the northern part of Israel. And so they say, you know what? We have no place here. We're going to go down south. We're moving. And so they move from the north to the south so they can be where the temple is and where they can serve God. And through their influence, the nation was blessed for a a little while. They um, They were blessed for a little bit. Look at verse 16 those from every tribe of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, for how many years? For three years. Walking in the ways of David and Solomon during this time. So for three years, things, things started off like okay, and then Rehoboam made some bad choices and they got bad. They could have gotten even worse, but then he listened. And then these guys come in there and they start teaching people to follow God and things get a little bit better. For how long? For three years. Had opportunity for it to last his entire reign. But then something happens. Uh, And the Bible describes it in... 1 Kings 14. Let me put it up here on the screen. 1 Kings 14. Now Judah did what? Evil. This is the parallel passage that gives us additional insights. Evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, more than all their their fathers had done, for they also built themselves high places, sacred pillars, wooden images, on every high hill and under every grain tree. For three years, they hung in there following and serving after God, but then they said, eh, we'd rather create our own places of worship under this tree on this high hill. We'd rather worship our own gods. And it continues. It says, and there were also perverted persons in the land. These are probably cult prostitutes, perhaps male and female. Um, They're copying the things that the nations around them were doing. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. The people who were doing evil, and so God said, your time's up, someone else gets to have the land. They started copying and doing what those people had been doing. And so trouble is on the horizon. Uh, In the midst of all this, he starts adding to his family. The Bible describes how he didn't have nearly as many wives as Solomon, but he, he had a lot of them. He had 18 wives 60 concubines, 28 sons, 60 daughters, and he kind of spread out, in verse 23, his kids amongst his cities, which the Bible says was wise. It was wise because if all the sons are in one place, it's easier for them to plot to overthrow him or his main son that he had appointed to become the ruler. But then we get to chapter 12, verse 1, which alludes to what we just saw on the screen here. 2 Chronicles 12, 1. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. He had those three good years. Things were going well, and he said, you know what? I think I got it from here. Priests, Levites, thanks for what you've done, but we're good now. I know what to do. And he started taking his own advice. He started taking the advice of the people who were longing after other gods, and things began to go downhill again. Because of this, verse 2, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. So God brought about judgment because of their unfaithfulness not because God hated the people, but because God was trying to correct the people and get them to serve him. Prophet, verse 5, Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and all the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for the fear of Shishak and said to them, this is what the Lord says, you have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. It's an interesting passage. You've left me, and I'm going to leave you. You know, a lot of times in the Bible, as we look at God's punishment or his wrath upon sin, sometimes it's kind of written in this language that's hard for us to understand. And it seems that God is very active in punishing. Really what's going on is God, a lot of the time, is simply... Because the people have abandoned him, he's letting the natural consequences of their sins catch up to them. In fact, in, in verse 11, it's, it actually uses the word wrath. So this is an example of God's wrath. We talked about it in Romans 1, how there were these people who didn't want to serve God, and so God, in his wrath, simply turned them over to the consequences of their rebellion. There's a saying about the Hebrew mindset in the Hebrew writing. It says, whatever God permits, he also commits. So sometimes, like in Deuteronomy, when it's discussing the curses for disobedience, and God says, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to bring armies against you. I'm going to do all of these things. And it's kind of scary language. It's it's actually just God saying, I'm going to stop protecting you. And this is what's going to happen as a result of it. I won't be causing the armies to do these things but I will be permitting them to. It's kind of like if there's a whole bunch of cookies at your house and your mom or dad sees you taking them, but they allow you to just eat like 30 of them all at once. <laughs> what will probably happen if, if you ate a whole bunch of cookies like that? Yeah. You probably, I'm just going to guess, you probably get sick, right? You probably feel really nasty. And you could say, Mom, why did you do this to me? But really, who's to blame? Ourselves. And much of God's punishment upon humanity is simply God withdrawing his protective power. Saying, okay, you didn't listen to me all these 30 times I tried to speak to you, so now... Let's see how you like it without my protective hand. And so God permitted Shishak to attack. He came up from Egypt. And it's interesting because we have a historical record down in the Karnak Temple in Egypt of uh, this conquest. And if you zoom in, you can see each one of these little um, guys with these characters is in a different town that was conquered at least the king is claiming to have conquered shishak in his conquest now it's interesting because jerusalem is not mentioned not mentioned here and there're probably a couple of reasons for it let's continue reading and we'll come back to this thought so the prophet says hey you've abandoned god and so he's going to abandon you but look at the response of the leaders in 2nd chronicles 12:6 the leaders of israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is what? Righteous. Righteous. The Lord is just. They realized, you know what? We've messed up, and God, whatever you do is going to be a fair punishment. And when the Lord saw that they'd humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, since they've humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but I will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak but they will however become subject to him that they may learn of the difference between serving me and serving the kings of the other lands and their next verses go on to describe how when Shishak came to Jerusalem they said all right tell you what how about we just give you a bunch of money and gold shiny stuff and so they looted all the stuff from the temple the stuff that could be moved all of the wealth that Solomon had accumulated And the fancy things and special things sacred to God were taken away. But the city was not destroyed. And so some people have said, well, that's the reason. Uh, The reason that that this Jerusalem doesn't appear on the list is because they didn't destroy it. Which very well may be. Another possibility is simply because if you look uh, like down here, does it look like there's some stuff that's missing? Yeah. Yeah. So it just very well may be that that part that said Jerusalem was, uh, has fallen off over time. But even if it hadn't, given that, that uh, Jerusalem was not destroyed but it was spared, um, that may be the reason. And furthermore, archaeologists realize that sometimes the Egyptians liked to brag and kind of boast and make up more than what actually happened. Uh, And so sometimes they may have even borrowed lists of other conquered cities and added it because they too had an issue with pride. But what's interesting about this list is, number one, it confirms this basic event that the king of Egypt was invading around this time period. And it also confirms there are like 38 cities that are mentioned in the Bible that are on this list. And so the Bible, again, we're seeing it's not just a book of made-up events and places and people. It's a book with historical events and people and places and things that actually happened. It makes sense to read and believe and accept what this book says. So Rehoboam was spared because they humbled themselves. And there was some good, verse 12 says, in Judah. Verse 13... King Rehoboam established himself firmly in Jerusalem and continued as king. He was 41 years old when he became king and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city the Lord had chosen, to, out of all the tribes of Israel, to put his name. His mother's name was Nema. She was an Ammonite. And here's this kind of the summary verse. And he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. As for the rest of the uh, events of Rehoboam's reign from beginning to end, are they not written in the records of Shemaiah the prophet and of Ido the seer that deal with genealogies? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah his son succeeded him as king. So here we have a story that overall is a sad story. In fact, as you think about the spiritual consequences of a story, it's a really tragic story because it didn't have to be this way. The advice that he was given in the beginning, he could have listened to the good advice, but he didn't. He could have listened to the Levites and the priests that for those three years had helped things go well and things could have continued to go well, but they didn't because he didn't lead and listen. Before we wrap it up today, it just occurred to me, as I was talking with Sarah, she raised a good question. How do we know if the advice that's being given to us is good advice? Right? Because I think we all want to follow good advice, generally. But how do we know if it's good advice? So here are a few basic principles, and perhaps you can think of some more. But here are a few simple ones. Advice about advice. Number one, listen to advice. This is my advice. But I think it's from the Bible. And we'll see here. Proverbs 12, verse 15. Read it with me. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So number one, be willing to listen. If somebody says, could I give you some advice? Say, please. Yes, I will listen. Seek out advice. Listen to it. Number two, get advice from multiple Good sources. Not just multiple sources, but multiple good ones. Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, what do we have? Safety. Safety. So get multiple people giving you advice, not just one person. But we want to make sure that it's not multiple bad counselors, multiple good ones. Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are what? Deceitful. So, you want to talk to people who love the Lord and are godly people as much as we can. So, number one, listen to advice. Number two, get good advice from good sources. Number three, don't believe everything you hear, but carefully consider. Not on the screen, but in my notes here, Proverbs 14, verse 15. It says, The simple believes everything. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. There are some people who anything that they read, they think is true. Or anything they hear, they think is true. Or if you see it on TV, you think it's true. The Bible says the simple person, the person who's not as wise, just believes everything. Uh, We're told to be discerning people. To uh, evaluate the quality of what we're hearing. I get various things sent to me, emails, things uh, on the internet, but I try to evaluate what I get. Is this true? Is it accurate? Where could I find, how could I find out if it's true and accurate? Number four, and this is the most important one, consult God's word. Consult God's word. God's word has advice and counsel on a lot of subjects. It may not be able to tell you Everything, but there are principles for just about anything that you need advice on. Psalm 119, verse 24, David says, Your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. David said, God, your word is like a counselor to me. But you won't get the counsel if you don't seek it and read it. And finally, get advice from people who are successful people. People who are successful in the area that you need advice for. If you want business advice, maybe don't get it from somebody who has failed in business time and time again, unless it's what not to do, right? Proverbs 13, verse 20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Simple advice on advice. If Rehoboam had applied more of these things, These proverbs were accessible to him. He knew where to find this good advice, but he chose to reject it. But finally, the the last thing is, when you get good advice, follow it. Right? Did Rehoboam have good advice? Did he follow it? No. No. So when you know what's good advice, follow it. And we get advice in like every day, every week. We don't really realize it as advice. But, but the world is constantly giving us advice. The world is constantly speaking their messages to us. Are we going to listen to them, or will we reject it? God is constantly trying to speak to us through our minds, through his word, through the Sabbath school lesson, through church, through songs that we hear, Christian music. God's trying to speak to us. What are we allowing to have the the final word in our life? From Rehoboam's story, we see a kingdom that could have been. Imagine if he had accepted the advice of the elders. There wouldn't have been a split. All 12 tribes would have been together. Imagine if he'd followed the advice in the council of the Levites and the priests who'd moved to his kingdom to serve God. The people wouldn't have fallen into adultery idolatry, witchcraft, sorcery, and all those things. And there are people who will be lost eternally because he followed the wrong advice. So whose advice do you want to follow? I want to follow good counsel. And as we wrap up today, I'm reminded of the, one of my favorite passages, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Is that what you want to do? I want to do that. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that we will carefully seek your advice, your counsel, and advice, counsel, direction from people who love you also. Whether it's big decisions or small decisions or subconscious choices, Lord, help us to think about what counsel and advice we're allowing into our lives and may we choose to follow you. Rehoboam made some bad choices and I know that we all have too but we can choose to make better ones starting right now and that's our desire to acknowledge you in all things And it's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath. And we'll see you next time.